we've been doing a series on price tags and um, talking about at this time of the year, it's always good to look back and evaluate how our year has looked thus far. And um, also where we're getting it wrong, not just where we're getting it right, but where do we need to realign our, ourselves? And if I look at just the um, where I spend my time, there are a lot of things where I've just mixed up the value. The things I'm spending time on that are a waste of time and things I should be spending more time on that, that I'm not. And there's a story about a whole lot of kids in America, I'd read this years ago, and they were in one of those small towns and back in the day when they used to have price tags on things and they broke into a department store in their town and in the middle of the night changed the price tags on all the items which was wonderful if you were there to buy a fridge and you only had to pay ten dollars slightly, slightly disastrous if you were buying an egg lifter and it cost you know 500 um, but it's such a good illustration of life because it's as ridiculous as it seems we are sometimes buying into that and the whole time in life we're taking price tags of things that should have value and changing them on putting them on values, things that don't. And so that's really where we're challenging ourselves and looking at the price tag of family and where we might be getting it wrong. But I just also want to say a few things. Today, we're not speaking because often when we start talking about family, we either think, well, mine is a dysfunctional family. It doesn't look like anyone else's or I'm single or this has been my journey. And so, but we've all been part of a family unit. And even if your family is a really small family, or maybe it's only you left in the country, um, we still share words of wisdom and advice with other families. So we have a ministry that extends to families that extends beyond ours. And so there's always something that God is doing in this realm of family. And so this is for everyone. Because the main thing is I'm not going to give you any clever advice on family because I'm also just putting a target on my back because I'm trying to navigate it and don't know what I'm doing. Um, but also to go that what I can control is my part in family. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. It is not controlling others. So I'm not going to give you any clever pointers on how to control other people. We're going to speak about what God says about family. And so just before we look at price tags and where we've got a few things mixed up, I want to speak to you and, tell, and just point out a few realities. And the one is that the family unit is under attack. And it has been since the beginning. The very first sin we see is break of relationship between God and man. But what is the second one that we see? Second sin in the Bible is Cain and Abel. Two brothers, one kills the other. It's a division in the family. And so we know that if the devil chose to hone in on that, that that is something that is powerful. So there's an attack on family. We see that throughout the Bible. We see discord in family units. You see it throughout the world. If you ask any of our psychologists or counselors here, probably the bulk of the counseling they're doing is either marriage or family counseling. Because that is a unit that can either encourage us and raise us and bring us and raise healthy like relationships or it can break us down and cause us complete heartache and devastation. When you see this attack on the family unit, you see some of the, the most horrific world systems. Um, part of that is oppressing families. If you look at our country's history, one of the most tragic elements of apartheid, there were many tragic elements. One of those elements was that families were split up. Kids were being raised without parents. A dad lived there, a mom lived there, and a child lived with a grandparent or someone else. How absolutely devastating. 
But we also see that the Bible speaks about the power of a family unit. The, fa the, the family unit is a powerful thing. We cannot get away from the spiritual beauty that God has put in families. He chose the family to, to build tribes around, and that's how these people groups were built up initially. It was through a family line that he brought Jesus. And so you see, as you track a family that he chose, that father and that father and that father, and you trace it down to the birth of Jesus. He brought his redemption through a family line. And we see it in, in when, when Paul commends Timothy and he says, I recognize this faith that was in your grandmother and in, and in your mother and now lives in you. And you see this faith being passed down from generation to generation. There are a few other things that we can acknowledge about family. The one is that we have been set up for success in God's kingdom. And what I mean by that is not that we will always be successful, but if we have God's word and God's spirit, we have everything we need to do family. The problem comes in is that each other family member has a choice too, and that is where sin falls in, and that is why our family units don't look perfect. So I don't come and say... He has a formula, and that's why I'm careful. But what I do say is you can control and stick to God's plan for family as much as you can, and it's your choice. Family also shows us how desperately we need a savior. It's great to come to church and, and speak nicely to your friends. We can tolerate colleagues even and people in the shops. But those that see our true side is usually our family members. And so they show us like, Lord, I need you. It shows me how desperately sinful I actually am. And then also that we have a choice in all of this. And that we're, that's what we see. We see how bad choices can devastate families. And I'm sure you've all seen that. And maybe you've made bad choices that have hurt you and damaged your families. And we also see that daily we have a choice. God shows us and he wants us to walk in his ways. But it's a, it's a continual choice of going, Lord, I surrender to your ways. So where have we got the price tags mixed up? Where have we mixed up values when it comes to family? And the first is forgetting the spiritual and focusing on the physical. It's so easy when we are living in a home with other people to focus on the immediate, on the needs of the time, on the things that we can see and forget about the things unseen. There's a very real spiritual realm when it comes to your family that we sometimes give very little attention to. Yes, I acknowledge my family needs God, we need his ways, but we forget that on a daily basis, there's more happening in the spiritual realm than you probably even can think or imagine. In Ephesians 6, it speaks about this realm, but the interesting thing in context is that when it speaks about this realm, just before it's spoken about husbands and wives and how they should love each other, parents and children, slaves and masters, it gives these guidelines for relationships, but then it ends with these verses. It says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If you thought it was against your family members, you're completely wrong. It's not about flesh and the things that you can see in your household, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you actually take a moment to contemplate that, it is absolutely mind-blowing. Have you ever come home and you've just brought anger into the household? And next thing, everyone is fighting and angry. I don't know if that's maybe it's just happened in our household. And you go, what is happening there? Was it just me? Or is Satan trying to get a foothold of anger in our home? And I think if we actually had to see what was happening, we would, be, we would probably do family very differently to the way we do. 
we get more caught up in the physical, and then it leads to the next thing, is that we put value on the wrong tools. We then focus on picking up the wrong sort of things. Self-help books. I can do this if I only do this. I stopped reading parenting books a long time ago because I kept on realizing I was getting it wrong and I kept on missing the darn milestones. I'd read it afterwards and realize I should have been doing it since the child was six months old. And that is what all those wrong tools does. It just shows us how useless we are when God has given us spiritual tools because that is how you face spiritual battles, not with physical tools. 2 Corinthians 2 says this, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. If you think about family, we often use our words to persuade people in our families to act a certain way. How many of you try to control your family by telling them what to do? Family members, your brothers, your sisters, your siblings, your kids, your parents, whoever it is, we think, if I could just say this, if they could just listen, and how often do you see change? Maybe we're just picking up the wrong tools. And you know what the thing is, and I've seen this in my own life and in my own family, when I've chosen to pick up the tools that God has given me, I've seen God-sized change. When I've picked up the tools that I feel I've got and the skills that I've got, I've seen Jolene-sized changes. Sometimes it helps for a little bit, but God gives me a better way. And that's the way we are to tap into, because at the end of the day, I want everything that happens in my family to point to the fact that God is great, not that Jolene is great. And then family can also turn our attention away from God instead of closer to Him, because we all have a way of doing this to each other in family. When you're swimming around in your genetic pool, um, we all have the same weaknesses. We push the same buttons. Maybe you all have a bad temper in your household. You, maybe it's just those things that just people, family has a way of just kind of drawing you away from God often if it's not done right. And that's what we do. We almost have two sets of rules. The way I conduct myself at home, and actually it's understandable because you did this and you did that and you did that. When actually I should go, family should be making me more Christ-like, as iron sharpens iron. Is it always easy? No. Is it what God calls us to? Yes. I think of the story of Ruth and, and Naomi and how a young woman who had just lost her husband chose to follow her mother-in-law and say, where you go, I go. My life will be hard and your life will be hard. Your people will be my people. She made this covenant to her mother-in-law to stick by her side. And how, what would have been going on in her heart as she had just lost her husband and probably just wanted to crawl up in a corner and die? But where does her faithfulness lead her to her kinsman redeemer, Boaz? And God has this brand new way. And it's the same when we choose to do things God's way. Where does faithfulness lead you? To your kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that is where family should lead us when it's done God's way. Then the next temptation with the switching of price tags is to focus on the um, more on the seen than the unseen. And there's a huge temptation in this community. We live in a little wealthy bubble here. And there's so many luxuries that we can see as we drive around here. I see it when my kids go to play dates and see what other children have, and then all of a sudden that's what they want. 
I remember moving into this community and I'd had a real skadonk of a car in Joburg that broke down all the time. And then all of a sudden I moved here and every student on a Friday night who was leading had these perfect, amazing cars, which was a real blessing. I'm not, you know, it's wonderful to give a young person a car that's safe and, and doesn't break down. But I realized there was something very different. As an outsider, when I came into this community, I realized something that I'm now blinded to, the wealth and privilege the things we focus on, but you know what the problem is? And I see it as I move amongst the families in this community, be it at Noah's Ark, at church, wherever I am, friendships, is that we focus on what is seen. And that's how we evaluate people. And we're so desensitized that we don't even realize it. Matthew 6 says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one, the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This isn't about what you have and feeling guilty about it. It's about what you serve and what your focus is. You can do the one at a complete loss for the other. The next one is not working on my brokenness and my personal healing. I don't know if you've seen how one dysfunctional family member, one member who's brought in a hurt or a trauma or a sin issue can, can rule the whole family. And the whole family tone can be taken down because of this one person. But now let's take it down to what you bring into your home. What is the undealt with issues? Rejection, anger, pride, arrogance, never saying sorry. Those things that you bring in that maybe you've even got a blind spot to. Maybe you should ask your family this one. What would they say? Because you see, we so often want to hold on to those. And family is that time where people will see it. Those undealt with issues. And that is what will cause devastation. And it also wastes our life. Imagine if there's help out there, and there is, to deal with my hurts, my rejection, my past from my parents, and now I'm bringing it down to my kids. There is help. There's a help that God offers. There's help through people. There's help through healthy community, through the right advice and counsel. But rather, people often choose to disdain it and have a blind spot to what they're bringing in, to not deal with their pain to not even admit that they're actually bringing brokenness in. I look at the Psalm of David, and when he wrote this one, he was going through a tumultuous time in his own life. So much so, he was fearing for his own life that he pretended to be a madman, dribbling and drooling, so that he wouldn't be attacked. So much so that he had to go and put his parents into hiding in another kingdom. You can read about it in Samuel. And he goes to God in the pit of despair, fearing for his life, And he pours his heart out. And there's so many beautiful tools in here. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant Their faces are never covered in shame. Wouldn't you love to have a radiant face instead of shame and being delivered from all your fears? This poor man called out and the Lord heard him. 
He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I'll teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Run after it. Don't just look for it. Seek it and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that a beautiful reality that God is actually close to those who have a broken heart? It's not an area that he's not involved in. He actually intimately can get involved in the brokenheartedness of mankind. The righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And so and if you read in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, you'll see that David then goes and takes proactive steps. He goes and he puts his parents into hiding. It's a mistake to just sit back and say, God, do all the work. I'll share it about his, his miracle that God did in his life and the steps that he also took. It's been a part of my story as well. I had trauma. And the best thing I could do was sit with a counselor. And you know what? I learned lessons on how to navigate other things in life. And so God sometimes uses it. For some of us, it's getting the right guidance, maybe with finances. For some, it's even getting the right medical help because there's something that's just plaguing you and you bring it into the home. That's not a bad thing. God uses those circumstances and those people as part of the healing, and that's been part of my story. Isn't it beautiful? That's where we celebrate community and wise counsel. So that at the end of our lives, instead of saying, I never got over this brokenness, I can say, like they say in the song, one generation will praise his works to another and declare his mighty deeds. The next problem is that we can sometimes put a higher price tag on ourselves than on others. And we say, well, actually, I'm the most generous person in my family. I'm the this and that. But actually, there's a self-protective side to all of us where we want to look after our own best interests. When the message of the cross was Jesus laying down his life over and over again as he walked on earth. That was the example in submission to his heavenly father with love for his people that he was walking amongst. And we see how when gospel is done right, there's always a message of sacrifice. For many of you, you are called to love family members who have rejected you, who have been in a way unlovable, have done things that are really you cannot agree with. But the thing that he calls you to is he calls you to a message of love. Sometimes we feel like, like everyone is watching us, and so we need to act in a certain way. Instead of saying, God, how do you want me to love this person? What are you calling me to do? Forget about what everyone else says. It's not your child. It's not their child. It's not their family member. You know them, and you know what God has called, and no one else is praying for your child probably as much as you are. 
So stick to the course of what God has called you to do. You know your child. You know God. That's the journey. But it's going to take sacrifice and putting your ways aside and not putting yourself higher than their own needs. The next one is fighting for family that's bigger than just the people that you're married to and your kids. Sometimes our generosity can stop at just our immediate family when we still have in-laws and cousins and a unit that God has called us to be a blessing to. My story of my brother-in-law is just that when I was, I only got married in my 30s, and so I had a brother-in-law who was just like a Hector protector, and I still have his name saved on my phone as Andre, my best friend, because Andre was just my person when I needed someone. If I needed to buy a car, he would help me. If I got stuck somewhere, he would help me. And he felt things sometimes even more deeply. He felt the fact that I was single more deeply than I did. And then when we weren't having kids, then he felt that even more deeply and sometimes would pray for me with tears. And what a blessing to have a brother-in-law like that who had my back completely. Do you even think about your other family members, the ones that are living overseas, this unit that is bigger than just your people, your immediate people? And that is where we need to be a blessing. And my challenge here to you is draw a picture of your family tree. Draw everyone that you can think of and then start praying into it and saying, God, what are you doing here? There might be long-lost relatives and just go, God, is there something you want me to share with them? There might have been people that you've cut off. Lord, what are you wanting me to do? Lord, how do you, how do you see this person? What, what is it that you've put in them? And imagine what a blessing we could all be to our families if we all did that. But we sometimes get so caught up in our immediate little world that we forget the genuine spiritual needs. If you are here, you might be the only family member in your unit that's a Christian. Then God is calling you to stand in the gap. This is a powerful and a really actually fun exercise to do, to think that you could actually change your family tree. And if you don't, who else is going to stand in the gap? God uses us to stand in the gap. Then doing things for our name's sake instead of for his. And this can be a huge thing because this is where I want to take pride. I want to do things so that my family looks good. And when we fall into this trap, we fall into the trap of of being concerned about appearances, the way I look, the way people see me, my family name. And then we start to kind of put that that onto our family members. I want my kids to be perfect. I don't want them to show me up. When we come into certain situations, I don't want them to say anything. I got horribly burned by my kids a few times. I think their school teachers are here. Um, Alexander, a few months ago, got asked what a butcher sells, and he told the whole class a butcher sells wine. (laughs) And then a few months later, Kelly told her teacher, when she asked what Jesus did at at Easter time, um, she told the whole class that he hid Easter eggs. And so my kids aren't shining right now in that department. Now, there's two responses, stupid example, two responses. I can go home and try and control them and draw the right answers, Or I can go, what wonderful clues into what they think. How about next Easter, we hide the Easter eggs and then we tell her again. And if she doesn't get it, we tell her again. All those things that are coming out of your family members' mouths are clues to what God is doing or what they are pushing away from, the hurts that they're carrying. So you can either be someone who just tries to control your family and do things for your name's sake, or you can go, God, what are you doing in my family? I'm going to be a spiritual detective. I'm going to keep my eyes open to the work, the unseen realm of what is happening in my family, because that is where I want to see the fruit. 
We also, when we, we start to control and not allow for growth, we also tend towards comparisons. I then look at what other families are doing and where they seem to be doing well and thriving and their kids are doing this and my kids aren't or that family has this and I don't. And, or the flip side, if I'm doing well, I become proud. It's never been about your family's namesake and that's not going to count in eternity at all because there won't be marriage so your family name isn't going to be a thing. It's going to be about God and for his name's sake. So do you want to focus on the now or on the eternal? And then the last one, valuing certain members over others. Everyone in your family who loves God and follows him has a spiritual identity and has something that they carry. Many of us undermine what our kids bring. We're more concerned once again about teaching them and imparting your values and truth instead of letting God raise it up within them and bringing out what they do. How many of you have actually learned lessons from your own children about God's heart and God's love? Sometimes it's a gender thing, the male versus female, the, the intellect thing. This person is really intelligent in this area and this one's not, and so I value that one more. Or this one's going in that direction in life, and so I put more weight on that. That is absolutely wrong. That's us putting price tags on people that God never has. Every person in your family carries something significant. And you might be the one in your family, maybe you feel insignificant. This is an area where Satan also tries to trip us up because if he can do that, he can silence us. You also have a voice and value in your family. You have something significant to bring. God wants to turn it all around. He wants to do a work in our lives. And so my question to you is what is your family going to say about you? What is your legacy going to be? Is it going to be that my parent worked hard, my p this person always told me what to do, that person always did that, that one never got over their hurt, or is it going to be their testimony that that person continually looked to God, they focused on him, their life gave glory to God? Isn't that the most amazing legacy? Um, that, that song that we sang, I'll sing of the goodness of God, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. Imagine if on your deathbed you could have your family around and have the privilege of saying with absolute peace with each of those family members, he's been so good to us. All my life he's been faithful. I'll sing of the goodness of God because ultimately that is what it's all about. And for the family that is hurting, he sees you. He's the God who sees. One of the first families... Um, that we, we, well, one of the first times, I think it is the first time in the Bible that we see the word Alroy, God who sees, is a woman who's been rejected and goes out into the desert with her little son who's going to be like an orphan son, and she encounters the God who sees. That is the God. This isn't a place of we have it all together because then we wouldn't need the gospel. This is a place of we're all broken people who so desperately need God in our lives and in our family. And at the end of the day, as I said, we cannot control other people, and we need to stop doing that if we are. If you think it's up to you to save your family, you've made a huge mistake. God is so much bigger, and let's put our hands in his and start trusting God for big things. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then Mark's also just got a response that's on his heart that is so relevant that I actually, it's best that he covers it too. And we're just going to have a time of prayer and ministry. And if you need any prayer for anything, we'll just ask the worship team to come up. We can have a space of prayer. Some of you might need to go and fetch your kids. That's absolutely fine too. But 
please don't go if you need prayer and if you need ministry. So, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are all about families, that you have this plan, Lord. Thank you that families are one of the things in life that we can celebrate in a world that does have loads of problems. Lord, thank you that we can celebrate your goodness. And when we've got things so horribly wrong, oh, Lord, that you just come in and you intervene. Lord, I also pray for anyone who might be carrying guilt for things that they might have put onto their families. Lord, I just pray that that guilt will be changed into freedom and peace. Lord, we pray for those who need reconciliation, Lord, that we will reconcile. Lord, for families that need miracles, Lord, we still want to press in and just pray, please do miracles in our families. Touch our families, touch our homes. Lord, for those who are hurting, Lord, we just pray for healing. And Lord, there are many families that are doing really well, and we thank you for that too. We don't, don't take times of priests for granted, so we want to say thank you. And even if we're not one of those families, we still celebrate what you're doing in other people's lives. We say, yes, thank you, God. I pray for those who are lonely. Lord, that there'll just be a healing and an intimacy that comes through other communities, their family members that are far away. Lord, thank you that this is family too. It's a different form, but it can still be such a blessing. So we thank you for these times. Amen.